ST-321, code clearance blue. We're starting our approach to deactivate the security shield. Hi, I'm Paul and I'm with my mate James and welcome to Code Clearance Blue, a show where we discuss all things Star Wars from our home here in the UK. We would be honoured if you would join us. I've been looking forward to this. Welcome back everybody. It's a new episode of Code Clearance Blue. It's uh, myself, James and Paul in the house as always. Paul, how you doing? Yeah, good mate, good. Yeah, a um, bit warm today but all good. Yeah, yeah, it's very Tatooine-esque out there today, isn't it? It is a bit. <laughs> or Jakku. I can't work out which one it is these days. It's one, it's one or the other, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. It's a bit warm. But the day, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> We've left Jack McKenzie on Hoth, so he's uh, he's experiencing the, the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we've got a bit of a special show, um, guys and girls. We've, got, we've been joined by a very special guest, Um gentleman by the name of Mark Newbold. Mark uh, joins us on episode 13, unlucky for some, but not for us, hopefully. Uh, Mark, welcome. Uh, I'd, I'd like to give you a proper introduction, but your CV is so long that we might be here for about two days. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's episode 13, because that weirdly is mine and my wife's lucky number, so I'm quite pleased about that. Oh, nice. Why did you choose that? Is it like your wedding date or something? Yeah, well, no, not our wedding day, but we we met on that day, so we've, it's always kind of stuck with us. Nice, nice. We like that. That's nice. Um, cool. Well, the three of us are going to be um, just chewing the fat, talking about some of the hot issues uh, surrounding Star Wars at the moment. We've had a couple of trailers recently, uh, some legit and some not quite so, etc. There's quite a few discussions online going on as well. But uh, just for those of you that don't know, uh, Mark basically lives within the franchise and uh, seems to make a good living out of it. He's written loads of fan fiction. He's worked for Star Wars Insider. He's the uh, editor-in-chief of uh, Fan for Tracks, which is one of the the world's most popular fan sites for for the franchise. Um, He's been on The Weakest Link. Uh, Mark, have have I missed anything out? (laughs) Uh, There's a few bits on that CD, but uh, they're probably the most important bits, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> can, can we just ask you about the weakest link how, how was it oh the weakest link was great fun it, yeah it was it was weird Anne robinson is exactly as you oh, would expect yeah. and she doesn't drop out of character if indeed it is a character uh i'd like to think that the the nice person at the end speaking to the last two that got to the final was the fake Anne robinson and the nasty one that was grilling you all the way through was the real one but I never actually got close enough to find out, sadly. But yeah, I only got halfway through, but it was a good experience. That's not that's not too bad. But you weren't one of the people that, that didn't bank 200 quid or something like that, were you? Oh, we did. We were rubbish. I mean, everyone was rubbish, collectively rubbish. Uh, I think I think the winning prize, the winning prize was about 1,200 quid. And it was around the time that everyone was getting PPR money back. And, and when I spoke to my wife and she says, how did you do? I says, I got halfway through. Because how much would you have won? I says, 1,200 quid. Because we've just had a PPI check back for thirteen hundred pounds, I went, "Well, oh, it's a good day, then, isn't it?" So I didn't care. <laughs> Fantastic! How much? Uh, what? How much um, Star Wars memorabilia did you spend that thirteen hundred? Oh, a, a fair chunk. Uh, <laughs> 20, 2011, 2012, What was what was what was the big thing then? It's always it's the normal stuff. I'm always finding old books that I've missed and old comics that I missed, and I'm, I'm, I'm too much time on eBay still. <laughs> all these years later that's it isn't it that's it I mean, what, what would you say is the best piece of memorabilia that you've ever come across that you just thought i've got to get it uh i 
living near Birmingham, there was a comic shop in town called Nostalgia and Comics, which I think is a forbidden planet now. And back in you know, me mid nineties, they had the hardback art of Star Wars, which I managed to get the money for and picked up. And then I've only got two signatures in it, but they're pretty good ones. I've got Joe Johnson and Ralph McQuarrie. So I would say if, if the house were up in flames, that would be the thing I'd grab. And then come back and get the wife. Nice, nice. Were, were Joe and, and Ralph kind of like, was it a pre-signed book or did you get a chance to meet them in person? Um, Joe, a friend, a friend organised for me. Um, and uh, that was sorted out, I think it was at Paris Comic Con or something crazy like that. Uh, but Ralph was actually at memorabilia in Birmingham in 96 or 97. So I was like unbelievably fortunate. Uh, just had five minutes. There was nobody in the queue. And my friend said, I'm just going to go and get a sandwich for us. Okay, I'll see you in a minute. He goes on for a sandwich. I spot Macquarie's got nobody in the queue. So I just go over and go, is he still signing or is he having a break? Oh, no, he's signing. And we talked. And I couldn't tell. I mean, this is Ralph Macquarie. I couldn't tell you what we talked about. I honestly think it was as mundane as... Wow, the weather's good for England, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it great? You were here in the eighties, weren't you? Yes, yeah, so, you know all that sort of stuff. Nothing I can remember other than I had five minutes with Ralph Macquarie, and all, it was when the obviously everyone gets the portfolio. We all know the portfolios, the Star Wars Empire Jedi portfolios. Every other person, it was signing the portfolio, but he'd got a, a lovely little box of basically postcards and stamps available at the time, and so that was the thing he was pushing. Um, and it's around the time that the, the um, Kevin J. Anderson uh, Illustrated Star Wars Encyclopedia came out and all that good stuff. I rocked up with Art of Star Wars, which he hadn't seen for years. And I think it was issue 14 or 15 of Bantha Tracks, which had him on the cover painting the snowscape for Empire. And he was absolutely fascinated by that because he hadn't seen that for so long. And so he, he charged me for the book signing and didn't charge me for the Bantha Track signing. So I've got a, that issue of Bantha Track signed by him as well, which is which is very cool. So, yeah, I was very lucky. Wow. That's really great. Go, go, make me feel sick with jealousy. How much did that autograph cost you? Oh, from memory, maybe a fiver. It was oh. nothing. It was pain. Mate, a tenner at a push. I mean, an absolute outside push at a tenner. This is like 25, 26 years ago, whatever. But nevertheless, Macquarie, yeah, I was so lucky. My friend wasn't so happy, though. He came back, bought me a really nice sandwich, and, and he went, right, we're going to go and see Ralph. And I've already seen him. And when he turned around, the queue was like half half the length of the NEC. He was not <laughs> happy. So, but you know, hey ho. I <laughs> see you got you got to take those opportunities when there's a clear desk to get to the front for sure. I um totally. I collect I, I collect Star Wars autographs myself, and I won't I won't I won't say on air how much I paid recently for my Ralph Macquarie because sensitive ears might be listening in the house. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know off air. But uh, it definitely wasn't a fiver. <laughs> So uh, the Andor trailer, the full trailer dropped a couple of days ago. Thoughts on that, Mark? We, uh, me and Paul, thought it uh, both looked really good, very, very gritty, very kind of put the the war in Star Wars, so to speak. And uh, yeah, what what were your thoughts? Really impressed. Really impressed. I love the look of it. I mean, it's obviously totally going for that Rogue One vibe. Obviously, it's a prequel to Rogue One, but it it's got that real world boots on the ground. Live. It, it's got a. I've, I've seen a few bits of Andor, so I've seen a bit more than the trailers. Um, and it's got a very lived-in feel, um, a very um, – almost as if you're living it, – it, it's, it's giving you a feel as if you're living in the Star Wars galaxy, but you're not, you're not Han Solo or Luke Skywalker running around having adventures. You actually live there. So it's that, it's that real-world aesthetic of 
embedding yourself into an environment and that trailer really shows that really well but obviously you juxtapose that with you see a scene from ferrix which is the sort of the industrial planet with the guy banging the you know banging the chimes in the morning to obviously you see coruscant with mon mothma so you're going from all the opulence of coruscant and all the promise of that to dirty muddy grimy early dawn everyone up down the pit sort of feel you know it's that kind of a vibe um i'm i'm so excited and I, i've got to say we talk about this a lot on making tracks i've been looking forward to andor for ever since they announced it because cassian was my favorite character in rogue one so when they said they're doing a cassian show it was like wow the opportunities there not just for the character but for storytelling you know the environment that the the time period with five years before a new hope five years before yavin and scarif all the stuff that builds up to that pulling and it's pulling from rebels to a degree. You know, you're talking about the partisan rebels, obviously from Rogue One and Splinter Cells and different things. Yeah, it's really, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I read uh, the other day, uh, Paul, as well. I don't know if you saw this, but um, they haven't used the volume for this. It's all like on location and, and real sets and stuff rather than using the volume. Ah, uh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, which might give it, which might mean it gives it that sort of earth, earthy feel. Yeah. Um, certainly to the the location stuff. Yeah. Which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, Mark, how comes you've seen a, a little bit of it already? Is that through your kind of work channels? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like I say, I've been in and around it a while now, so so some sometimes I get opportunities to see previews of little bits and bobs. So not seen a huge amount, but seen a few little bits. And yeah, you're definitely right about you know not, not knocking the volume but there has been some interesting conversations from fans as well lately and i think obviously after just seeing light and magic you know everyone's talking about that so it puts a, a new sort of spotlight on it the mm. the the way they use the volume obviously you get this amazing new tech which gives you the opportunity to be anywhere pretty much but what they've done with andor i think it was a directorial choice as much as anything it's like no we want you know you know when um uh, Vin Diesel did Chronicles of Riddick, and he's like, I'm not going to do blue screen. I'm going to build whopping great big sets, you know. And it looked, it didn't make the money, but it looked amazing. And it's that kind of feel, you know. They built that great big set down at Little Marlow in Buckinghamshire, and it's it's a monster set. And they've still done set extensions, and they've still added the like they did in Phantom Menace. You know, they've added all the roofs on and all that sort of stuff. But nevertheless, you're in a real place. There's a ge- geography to it, and you can sense that. You can feel that when you're watching it. And obviously, there's big shots of you see it in the trailers big blue screen shots and there's obvious obvious things you know but yeah it's it's i think with with stagecraft it'll only ever get better it'll only ever get more defined you won't see the seams i think already the thing about stagecraft is that our eyes have got used to it and it's just all sounding like experts we don't really know how this thing works we only know what they tell us but but we are as fans generally, especially as Star Wars fans, you get, you develop quite a keen eye, and I love I love when I'm fooled, and I, and you learn, especially watching things like Light and Magic, the amount of times that you think it's not, you think there's no visual effects, and there's actually loads of visual effects. So I really dig that. But you you know if you're on the volume that everything that isn't a physical breathing thing or they're touching, interacting with, it's it's done by a visual effects company and hurled upon the screen. With Andor, it's it's very much if there's a doorway thirty yards away, you know in Mandalorian if they walk to that doorway thirty yards away, they'd get ten yards and hit the wall. <laughs> but yeah. in Andor, they'd actually yeah. walk through the door. So 
you know, that's not criticising either or bigging up one or over the other, but it is a different approach and it does give a slightly different aesthetic, which I think is a good thing. I like the fact that it's got a different feel. So, But that's not digging at Stagecraft by any measure. It's it's an amazing piece of tech. It's how it's used, I think. Yeah. Like all new tech, you know, I mean, you can just get carried away with it too much or you can just use it sort of sparsely around the bits and pieces and the story and also the, the budget, you know what I mean? Like Mandalorian yeah. goes to a lot of places. So it sort of sometimes makes sense, but um, but yeah, it's it's you know he was he was going on some sort of adventure every episode, wasn't he? To some sort of different place, so it sort of makes sense. But yeah, at the same time, you're right; you don't want to over over egg it, like yeah, like he did with CG when it first came out. You know what I mean? So yeah, and, we, and Lucasfilm's been here before, haven't they? Because yeah, you know, people think back to Phantom Menace. I mean, not so much the special editions because he was using the tools he had at the time to do something specific with the special editions. But with The Phantom Menace, it did feel... It doesn't so much now. I think we, we appreciate those films more. But I think at the time, you looked and thought, wow, you know, he's been given... With Star Wars Empire and Jedi especially, he had limited tools. And it was a it was a case of... It was like the shark in Jaws. The less, the, the less you saw the shark, the scary it was. But if Spielberg could have shown you the whole shark doing everything he wanted it to, you'd have seen it. He just couldn't do it. So it's that whole less is more thing um, by necessity. But when you got to Phantom Menace, he could show the shark getting up, tap dancing down the bar, you know, like the like the alien in Spaceballs if he wanted to. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> it's just how judiciously you use the tech, and I think it's it's not the same, but it's almost the same with Stagecraft. You've got options. So one option is to build a monster set like Andor, another is to do blue screen, and and another option is to do Stagecraft. It's just choosing the right one. But here's me, who knows, you know, I can barely turn his kettle on talking like I know what I'm talking about in terms of visual effects. I don't. So, but it, but you can kind of imagine that they must sit there now at ILM thinking, wow, we could go that way. We could go that way. We could go that way. So it's nice to have the options. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and in regards to the potential plot lines of Andor, um, uh, me and Paul were talking last week. Um, I mean, Saw Guerrero, great to see him back, etc. But as you say, part of the, the partisans and becomes known as an extremist later on through through Rebels and then in Rogue One. Um, do you think then he might be a bit of a, a hindrance more than a help through the series? Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see because we've seen, we sort of, it's one of those characters, you saw him in Clone Wars and there's been stuffing books and comics and then we see him obviously in Rogue One. Like most characters in Rogue One, we see their endings so this is kind of an interesting step back. But this time period, you could say, I guess, is quite a big, um, it's a big gap to fill. It's going to be interesting to see how he gets to where he is in Rogue One because, you know, has he got Borgullet with him? That's my big question. You know, is he is he still this, you know, is he yeah, this suspicious guy? You know, or is he is he a bit more together? Because he's obviously been through trauma. So, you know, when, when does he, I mean, you see, Edrio, two tubes. You see Benthic. You see those guys. You're wondering what other characters you're going to see. Weasel, Warwick's character from Phantom Menace. You're going to see him. So, uh, well, actually, no, he was in Solo, wasn't he? I'm getting mixed up. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah, but you know, you know where I'm going yeah. with it. So, so you know, there's there's these different characters that are in Rogue One. Are, are some of those going to be here with him already? How long has he kept that partisan squad together? I don't know. Hindrance, yeah, because Mothma was not impressed with the partisan movement in Rogue One. So I would imagine this could be the show, or maybe season two, but this could be the start of them being an issue because it did feel like the partisan rebels, while still being rebels, and you see them doing their thing on Jeddah, were, yeah, they were a problem because they were not part of any organisation. They weren't 
folded into the hole. Um, maybe this will show us why they're not. Maybe they are too militant. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I get the feeling that there's going to be some sort of mission where they're all collaborating and, and Saw makes a decision to go completely off-piste and it's going to cost the, the burgeoning re- rebellion you know, quite dearly at that point, maybe. That's something I wouldn't mind seeing. But uh, I know Paul's well up for seeing the octopus, as he calls it. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Like, oh, I hope the octopus is that. <laughs> He's a legend. Yeah. Paul's in havoc. <laughs> he is. But I think with, with that, you make a good point, though, about Saw Guerrero because... You know, like you say, in Rogue One, when they have that big conference and Cassian and the, and the other guys are uh, outside the, the meeting, basically, when Jin comes out and says they don't want to go and they go anyway, their reticence is because they don't feel like they're ready. They don't think they're up to it. And, and it or, you know, and there's that little moment with Bail Organum and he's kind of almost pleased that they just push the button. You know, it's like, when are you ever ready to get married? When are you ever ready to have a kid? Whatever. It's, you just have to do it, don't you? And this was that moment where it's like, we're just going to do it. We're just This is the moment we're just going to do it. And by that point of time, obviously, um, Saw Guerrero is out of the picture. He's already died and the whole Jedi thing has happened. But nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see what makes that alliance that should be all pumped up and bloody ready to go and let's do this to be a bunch of almost like the Imperial Senate like bureaucrats that are just too stifled to do anything, you know. So it'd be interesting to see how Saw fits into that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Quite looking forward to seeing Mon Mothma kind of obviously public-facing. She's going to have to be very down the line and, and political, but behind the scenes she's going to be rallying the troops and getting old Bale to tap up his Jedi mate and all that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It could be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the little bits I've seen of her is, is, is very interesting. It's It's not... Um, it's not entirely what you'd expect, but it's but it's really really interesting. And I love Genevieve O'Reilly. I think she's a brilliant actress, yeah. so she's watchable anyway. So I think what they've done with this is the the casting is great because they've put everybody I've seen so far has been really engaging. Lots of familiar, especially for us Brits, it's great. You know, loads of familiar faces, mm-hmm. and not in the sense that you're sitting there going, "That's the dude from whatnot." That's whatnot from Thingy. You know, you're not you're not pulled at the moment, but there is that nice, ah, oh, it's him. You know, ah, oh, it's her. So there's some cool little. It's a bit like a New Hope. You know, back in the day, you watch New Hope, and that that film was filled with British TV stars. You know, and I'm sure the audiences of the day. I was six when that came out, so I don't remember recognizing hardly anyone, but but people a bit older would go, oh, wow, that's Peter Cushing from Morecambe and Wise or whatever, you know. <laughs> so it's it's a, it's a little bit like that, but but not in a distracting way. So it's it's good. And of course, the Americans won't have a clue who anybody is. So. No, that's true. Is that Johnny Ball's no. dad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it is. <laughs> uh, Paolo, I bet old uh, Genevieve is quite quite excited to walk into wardrobe on day one and see and see things other than just white long robes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point because you do you see that sort of orangey sort of outfit she's wearing in the trailer and uh, yeah she yeah it's uh, yeah I bet I bet Carrie was like that though on Empire wasn't yeah. she you know it was like oh it gets to best bit it's like oh wow I'm not wearing <laughs> beige or white yeah it'd be nice and then gets to Jedi and it's like wow this is what I'm wearing okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a good point um should we should we touch on light and magic because uh, obviously the, the three of us have all seen it um paul if i ask you first what, what was your favorite episode from the six that you found most engaging um yeah i really liked um well the i think the first one was really good just the how it all sort of started out 
and the fact that they had this a truckload of, well, uh, what they kept saying was a, a very large budget. They didn't quite know what was going on. And uh, and when Lucas, George Lucas came back from filming, having having this horrendous time in, in yeah, the UK filming Star Wars, and then coming back and they're like, yeah, we've done one shot. <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> oh my God, like, you know, and then he, you, even when he was obviously telling the story back, you can just tell how angry he was. He just thought, God, could you imagine? And yeah, the fact that, just the way they sort of started this kind of company and got random people who were sort of random engineers together. It's just really it's so good that that kind of organic sort of process and just how they kind of managed to sort of, sort of so I thought, I thought the first one was really good, but you know, the, I mean, the first sort of three were dedicated purely to Star Wars anyway, which is obviously, you know, Star Wars, it was Empire and Jedi, but and just yeah, but but my first, the first one was my my, my favourite. Yeah, how about how about you, Mark? What what did you take away from that? Because I assume that obviously you would have known a lot of the stories and sort of backgrounds, a lot of things anyway. But even for someone like myself, who probably not as learned as you, but knew quite a bit, I still sat there spellbound for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, we're lucky at the moment. We've got this, and we've got Icons on Earth, which is the documentary shown in the states. Uh, the guys that the toys that made us has done, which is which has got the Marcia Lucas interview, and it it walks over similar ground, and Tippett's in that, Muren's in that, and uh, Dykstra's in that. You know, there's a lot of similar people, but Light and Magic was just so so well made, just just brilliantly well made. And like you say, yeah, you know that you know the the through line of of the you know we all know the stories, we all know about the slip and slide. It's just the way that it's told, and there was little things in there. Um, because I've been lucky over the years because I used to run a site called Lightsaber back in the day so I used to do a lot of interviews on Lightsaber and we interviewed Tippett, we interviewed Murin and people like that and I didn't realise their close relationship that their you know, their wives, mm. respective wives used to go to the university together and that the families are so close so the one mm. that really hit me was obviously the Star Wars all the Star Wars stuff was amazing um, was the Jurassic Park one when Tippett's going to do it all yeah, in stop motion and then all of a sudden uh, Steve Williams yeah. and Mark Dippy figure out how to do it as a CG thing and and very smartly leave the screen on so Kathy Kennedy sees it and just little <laughs> yeah, things like that. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I was actually sinking in my seat watching that and you can and they kept cutting yeah. back to Tippett who obviously it's still raw thirty years on. Yeah, you know I that was that was fascinating. One thing that surprised me, though, about the Jurassic one was they never mentioned, when they were filming Jurassic at the end, they had the big trouble on the island with the, the big storm, and the guy that played Jock in Raiders was actually the pilot that got them off the island when they were filming Jurassic in real life, which is, which is kind of mm-hmm. weird. And Spielberg actually left Jurassic to go to Poland to film Schindler's List, list and it was Lucas that basically oversaw the end of production on Jurassic. So, because he gets a, a mention in the credits, and I was kind of surprised they never mentioned that because the, the documentary, I don't know what you guys think. It felt to me like there's probably enough footage there. You know, they didn't just, he didn't just sit down with Lucas for half an hour. He probably sat there with Lucas all day and mirrored all day and tip it all day and edited it into light and magic. It feels to me like they could probably pull another six episodes together if they wanted to. They need to do one about Skullwalker Sound as well because that that story needs telling as well. Yeah, I, I I'd like yes. to find out a little bit more. Like obviously they interviewed Ben Burt and like he's one of the main reasons I love Star Wars. I think um, him and his team, the sound effects that they they created for across the boards. You just hear, you can just hear something like that in real life. If you're walking down the road, you can hear like a, an engine or a, a bird call or something, and you and you instantly think to yourself, "That sounds like a blaster or like an engine from a 
Star Destroyer or something. And it's amazing. I think, yeah, like a, a bit more of a deep dive on Skywalker Sound would be pretty excellent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, again, he's another one. You know, the stories going to the zoo, recording the animals, hitting the, you know, putting the bolt on the, on the, on the, uh, the uh, metal pole and making the laser sound and all that malarkey and the accidental lightsaber thing when he walks past the, you know, the television, the old television and that. But yeah, there's definitely, definitely things to talk about there because people would be blown away to understand. Yeah, like you say about hearing real life things, you know, I think if I remember there's like a lion's roar in the TIE fighter and, you know, they, they kept, you put lots of animal sounds in the vehicle noises and things like that. So yeah, genius. Just, just very quickly, but each of you, I'll, I'll go to Mark first. Favorite Star Wars sound effect? Oh, that's a good one. Um, probably the Atat. I love the sound of the Atat, the machinery. I think it was just like a big old printing press, if I remember, just a clank of a printing press. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'd probably say the Atat. Nice, Paul. I suppose from an effect perspective, when we saw those blasters, that sound where it was sort of delayed in, I think it was episode two, with Jango. Yeah, I I think I would have seismic charges, but obviously that's quite oh, yeah. visual as Beautiful. well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But the fact that 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 whoever thought, okay, well let me just delay it by half of yeah you know, by you know, two or three frames, and it's like and but I think that obviously there's the obvious ones, you know, the lightsaber and things like that. But I think that one really that was a mate that was really good. Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, I, I liked it when they brought that back into Book of Boba. I oh, know it was at the end of Mando series two, wasn't it? They brought that back in. When they're escaping yeah. from the refinery and he just drops one in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Um, what about you? What's your favourite? Um, well, actually, Mark mentioned it a, a minute ago when um, just just the straightforward Stormtrooper E11 blaster sounds when uh, Ben Burt's like tapping on the big uh, electric cable and just mm. recording it straight from that. I just it's just so simple but genius. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, obviously looking at your CV, you've written quite a lot of, uh, I, I, it says fan fiction on the website, so I'll call it fan fiction, but uh, you, yeah. are, are these books that people can buy in shops or online? Like, what, What's the deal with these and how? why did you start writing them? What, what's going on? Oh no, these were so, wow, here we go, history lesson, I'll try and be as concise as I can. So back in 1982, I was, what, 11, uh, and I was reading Star Wars Monthly. And I was very impatient waiting for the next issue to come out. Because like back in the day, you know, you'd read a comic, you'd read it. You read a comic now, you'd bag it, board it, put it away. You'd never, probably never read it again unless you're researching something. Back then, when you didn't have anything like you've got now, you'd get that comic on the Wednesday and you'd wait a month for the next one and you would read that comic 20 times because that's all you've got, that and your toys. But you read along adventures and stuff like that. So I was, uh, I was impatient. So I wrote my own sequel to a Marvel comic, basically, uh, but put my own characters in it in 82 and then just refitted it. When the next issue came out, it was completely different to what I'd written. So I refitted my own story and rewrote it and became my own thing. And I just really got into it. And then just through the eighties and into the nineties, really, especially in the nineties and the early two thousands, uh, by the time I'd got online was writing a lot. We, we used to do the old Western games role play stuff, which filled things out. So by the time we'd finished, we'd done, we'd got like 300 planets, about a thousand characters, hundreds of ships it was it was bonkers i think I, I did a number count at one point and we actually had more characters in our fictional star wars area than D D had at the time i'm sure they've blown past us now but uh, yeah it was just crazy so all the stuff i did before was all all fan fiction and and sort of creative writing stuff um and then i i did a when i was doing lightsaber which i did for about 10 years we sort of had a bit of a break in sort of 2004 or five to re basically redesign the site 
back when you had to do it page by page. So the site was offline for six months. And when we came back, it just became more of a new site, which has just kind of carried on from until now, really. So I did Lightsaber, then did Jedi News for about seven years, and then set up uh, Phantom Tracks with uh, Matt and Brian about five years ago now. So, it, but, and, that, and the focus is the news thing. It's the daily news thing, which is obviously the nature of it. It's, it's you know, you're chunking away at it all the time. So, but so yeah, the fanfic was great fun. I, I miss those days. I wish I honestly wish I had the time to, to do it. And I still own the URL, the lightsaber URL. So it's all slowly going in there. Um, and it's very much of its time, you know, and uh, we're in a different world now. Some of it's not as PC as it might be, you know, so I'd probably have to go back and tweak things to make it a little bit more um, sort of uh, correct, if you want to put it in those terms. Um, but yeah, it was it was great fun. I, I do miss having the time to do it. And was that focused on just like one one or two main characters that you created or was it actually based on sort of the, the worlds of the comics that you spun off and you used those characters, et cetera? What, what we did was, and this is, I think now, I think how um, it's it's good the way that we thought. We, we thought, you know, you're not going to get a bigger baddie than Darth Vader. You're not going to get a cooler smuggler than Han Solo. So even though we had villains and we had, you know, my main character was a smuggler called Yan Lamona. So, you know, you'd have that, you'd have our own people. We set them in an area of the galaxy called the Setnin Sector, which was sort of above, it was one of the satellite galaxies. It was sort of above the Star Wars galaxy. So it was in its own area. Mega rare that you'd have a, a known character turn up. So occasionally Wesley Anson would turn up and train our rebels or Darth Vader <laughs> would come through on a, on a, you know, as the executor went through the system just on a patrol or, you know, you'd go and do a job for Jabba the Hutt. So it was all very, but very, sporadic we had our own villains and we had our own heroes and we had our own planets so you could read you could read five or six stories in a row and not read anything that you would know from star wars other than the tech and the you know the uh, just the feel of it but uh, yeah we, it was very much our own thing and as you do when you're really in the in the trenches with these things after a while it that it still does really that feels as star wars to me as any of the, I'm waggling the air quotes, any of the real Star Wars stuff, um, <laughs> which has become obviously over the years a contentious point because, you know, you've retold the canonical story of Star Wars a couple of times anyway, you know, over the years. And Marvel did it and then it was redone in the 90s. And now it's been redone again for canon. So, you know, what's real and what's not, I, I like to think as is as real as anything else. Yeah, why not? So it sounds like Disney owe you a few quid for the inspiration of Mandalorian, if you ask me. <laughs> we it's funny you say that because we we had a we had a, we've not got much artwork because we didn't have many artists with us but we did have a character a friend of mine louis who was one of our sort of writing crew had a character called taranth who was a mandalorian bounty hunter nothing special about that but if you see mando the mandalorian and you see a picture of taranth together you would just think that's that's fan art of the mandalorian because <laughs> he was in silver armor he had the cape over the shoulder I mean, it's it's freakishly alike. It really is. So, and our stuff's been out there online. You go to the Wayback Machine; it's all there. You know, it's it's all out there. So, loads loads of little bits every now and again will come up. We wrote about that twenty years ago. What's going on? <laughs> so, oh, that's great. Is it? Um, I, I mean, I, I know obviously you work you work for Star Wars Insider magazine and all that sort of thing. But there's obviously a bit of a divide at the moment between people that really care about the original stuff and the old now ex-canon sort of legends that Disney have now called it, um, and the Disney spun-off stuff now. Um, 
do you kind of have a, a preference or do you keep a foot in each camp? What, what, how do you see all that? When it happened, when that when they drew the line in the sand, and I understood why they did it because they've, they've spent billions literally buying this thing and they want to make it a long-term thing. And they already know that they're going to do solo, which is very much in the OT sort of ballpark. And they're probably already thinking, maybe not thinking of Mando and stuff because that's Disney Plus and it's not a thing at that point. But, you know, they're thinking of what they want to do, where they want to do it. And and you look at all the books and comics that are set between just between Star Wars and Empire and Empire and Jedi, and especially from Jedi out towards where Mando sits now, let alone where Force Awakens is. And you try and explain to the bean counters, well, we can't tell stories in there because 30 years ago, Kevin J. Anderson wrote a series of books that are set there and we can't step on those toes. So so I get why they would go, forget all that. Let, push that to one side. We're going to tell all new stories. So from a business point of view, it makes all the sense in the world. From an emotional point of view, kind of breaks my heart that they're not canon anymore because if you were going to go up to Force Awakens, mm. for example, to me, all you had to do, if you want to make some logic of it, all you had to do was set Force Awakens 10 years further out and and Crucible was the break-off point. It was the last sort of Legends EU novel, if you like, and set Force Awakens 10 years on. And everything that, that they talk about in Force Awakens is kind of exposition. And if you really want to know about it, well, there's a book about it over there. But by the same token, if you do that, then all the stories that now are getting told you know, you couldn't, you just couldn't do them. So I get why they did what they did. And as the years go on, much in the same way that I, I you know, my enjoyment and appreciation of the prequels has only grown. My understanding of that decision has only got firmer, if that makes sense. I get, I get why they did it now. As as a as somebody who really thinks a lot of canon, and I think canon, and I mean, it's a much maligned word, and people I think use it in the wrong terms. It, and canon isn't even the right word because canon. Anything Star Wars is canon. It, it's part of the Star Wars world. It's chronology is the, is the thing that we should be thinking about. The chronology matters to me. When You mentioned the fanfic I did. All of that was in a very strict chronology, and I would check back to previous stuff and make sure it all hung together as, as best I could. And God knows there's loads of things that don't fit. But I enjoyed trying to make it fit, which is why I've got such an appreciation for Leel and Chi and people like that for making it all hang together. But nevertheless, I think now they've got they're in a nice position where you know um, they can they can cherry pick characters. They brought Thrawn back. You know, there's there's characters that they can pull in. There's ships that can pull in and planets. I think all the planets still exist, um, apart from Zanamis the Cop. That probably doesn't. But you know, there's a lot of other planets that that are still there. Um, so they're in a good spot now. Actually, I think especially with Disney Plus doing so well, and and as the years go by, other avenues will open up. You know, other formats, if you like. You know, um, virtual reality is one that's definitely going to keep improving. You know, so there's different outlets for them. Um, a lot of the stuff that we love and loved that's still there for us will be completely fresh to new kids coming in. And we've got new kids coming in every day. So so I suppose really what I'm saying is I, I had to get over myself a little bit and stop being so precious about it because it's still all there. And I know that's that's the one thing that, that people who love the legends hate people saying, oh, well, you can still read your little books. Yes, I know mm. I can still read my little books, but I want to know that they matter. Well, they, they do matter, and they matter to a point, but we are where we are now. So we're in a world where, like you say, we're waiting on Andor to come. We've got Acolyte starting shooting fairly soon, and you know they're looking at filming the next movies hopefully fairly soon, and things are 
building up again and yeah, we're in a good spot. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we say nearly every other week that we're living in a bit of a golden age. You know, your kind of stock may rise or fall pertaining to whichever series of the week you're watching or whatever. But I mean, I personally don't think that they're doing too much too wrong. I think, I know there's a lot of, here's, like a lot of people say the sequels were rushed and not properly planned and all, all that sort of thing. But I think what we got was was pretty good, and especially if you take it as kind of a, just a key story between Ray and Kylo, I think it works really well. Um, where do you, where do you stand on the Last Jedi, Mark? Because I know, like, well, Paul, you you tell Mark what what we thought when we first saw it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I think we were just a bit speechless, but like, uh, okay, um, it's all right. Uh... <laughs> One of our friends was quite angry, but. Um... Bit upset, yeah. but yeah, no, I think we, yeah, we were a little bit like not not too disappointed, but just a bit slightly okay. There's a few questions here. I think we were a bit bamboozled by it all. We we came out and and felt a bit not angry is not the right word, but a bit kind of a bit nonplussed and a bit what that what was that sort of thing. But then I think we both watched it again separately, didn't we? And we came out and went, oh, okay, it's kind of clicked into place. I don't. I, where does it sit on kind of your your favourites list, Mark? Is it up there for you, or is it not one of your faves? It's not one of my faves. I can't lie. Um, I mean, I was the same. I was lucky. I was at the premiere, so you know, oh. met Ryan Johnson, met Adam Driver, yeah, meet the cast and all that stuff. Lovely. It's one of the first things we did as Fanta Tracks, actually, and we had an amazing time. We was at the Albert Hall, so we had an amazing time. Great. Um, and um, yeah, so I think I saw it three times that week. And it never, it didn't click for me at all. And oh. I've and I've seen it a few times since, and I I've enjoyed it more as I've seen it since. But I, it's never going to be a favourite for me. It it didn't, it's, and I, there's nothing per se in it that I don't agree with. A lot of people didn't like the how Luke was in that film, and I can completely see why Luke got to that point. And I think we're going to fill in the gaps over the years, like we have with other characters, like like we always saw Guerrero to a much lesser degree. We're going to sort of understand why he's that guy, and so mm. storytelling is going to take us there. Shadow of the Sith, uh, Anna Christopher's book, uh, does a, a good job of of giving you a little bit more there. Obviously, Mando gave us a bit, Book of Boba Fett's given us a bit, so we're starting to fill in the gaps. So I haven't got a problem with that. Um, it, it just didn't, it just didn't feel quite right. There's something just a little bit off about the whole the whole film for me. Um, and I think also because we live in a world, especially then, 2017, where every everything, every decision, every opinion was either hard left or hard right, for example, and there was nowhere in the middle. Where I tend to sit for, on most things, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I could, even things that I'm not blown away by, I can go, well, I actually get what they were going for there. I actually quite like that. You know, I'm never down, completely down in anything. But I, I so loved The Force Awakens. I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant film. Really enjoyed Force Awakens. And I really liked The Rise of Skywalker, and that probably puts me in a minority as well. No, I, that's all, you're amongst friends here, mate, in that respect. That's all good. <laughs> I just like JJ's style. I think he casts those people brilliantly. He gets such good performances out of them. The, 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 Ray, the Ray and Finn and Poe in Last Jedi, to me, don't feel like the same characters from The Force Awakens. And I can only attribute that to the way they were directed. Um, it, they just don't feel like the same characters. And yet in, in Rise of Skywalker, they've got that snappy, you know, the little bit of fizz between them and the energy's there again. It's just JJ yeah. has them and knows how to direct them. 
And that's not looking the way Ryan directed because he needed, I think he needed Last Jedi to be very different. And it, and it, and I, hats off to it because it's trying to do different things and it's trying to give us a different angle and it's, it's using different tools to tell that story and the visuals are fantastic. But, but just even in there, it's just little leaps of logic to me that just glare. And it's because I've been writing fanfic for so long and, and just silly little things like the Holdo maneuver, jumping to light speed like that. Just to me, it's like that, that just makes no sense at all to me that that sequence just makes no sense. Um, but then there's other bits in it that are excellent. Um, the fight scene was great. Adam Driver, you completely through all three films, is that to me he's the spine of that trilogy. His performance, he's he's just gripping to watch. You know, there's not that many actors that you watch. It's like you can't take your eyes off them because you don't quite know what's going to happen next. He's one of those actors in that particular role. He's one of those guys. So fantastic. But yeah, it's never going to be. Uh, a favourite of mine, but but I do appreciate it if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think we we were very much similar similar thoughts. We were, I think when we watched all of those sort of sequels, because you're just so overawed with it that you don't sometimes don't know how to react. I mean, Rogue One was mm. we, we were unbelievable. Yeah, you know, we were just like this is amazing. Like we were really high on that one, but I think with all three of them, we kind of came out like. And to be honest, the prequels were like this as well. I remember seeing episode one as well. I was like, I don't quite know how to, it's just too much to take in, you know, because like, you're just used to sort of seeing it at home and, you know, over <laughs> yeah. and over again kind of thing. And then you just need to, and I think that's the same with those sequels. But that one in particular, we we just were a bit shell-shocked, weren't we? It's like, I don't quite know how to take this one. Yeah. It was it was very strange. I remember we came out of the cinema because we went we went to like an eight eight no there was like a ten a.m. showing or something like that, and we came out, went to the pub round the corner, and just sat there and went, what, what, <laughs> what was that exactly? Like like why did that? That was that was my exact reaction to Phantom Menace though. Twenty odd years ago was was I came out of the cinema. I saw it in Vegas. I came out of the cinema with a mate of mine. We walked across the car park and we found a bar. And this, we were walking towards the bar. I just looked at Paul and went, "What the <laughs> was that?" I just did not. I did not get it. Yeah. And the weird yeah. thing was, you guys know, you know, Phantom was like two months before we got it in the UK, and we were we were there for a fortnight. So we saw it six times before we came back, yeah. knowing that no one, unless they got a pirate copy, no one's, which everybody yeah. seemed to have back then. You know, no one's going to see this film properly yeah. for like six weeks at least, seven weeks. So, and by the time we'd seen it like the third or fourth time, it's like, ah, I get it now. I get it now. You have to get out of your own head. But it was different then because because Force Awakens had come and then Rebels had started and it's like oh okay and we're in the Disney era and and you know things have started to ramp up. Uh, I mean nothing compared to now. It's like like you say it's golden age now. It's crazy now in a in a good way. But but yeah, when Last Jedi came out, it was a little bit oh that's 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 different. But that feels especially coming after Rogue One, which was just such a such a delight. In every in every way, performances, visuals, music, just the story. It was concise and and it was a it was a grown up story as well. Which again, go back to Andor. People who want a bit of gritty grown up Star Wars are going to flip for Andor because it's proper. You know, there's no there's no Muppet. It's not it's not. You know, when you say about Jedi being like you know in the Muppet Show, that's not in Andor. That's this is this is gritty and real. So so they're they're touching on a lot of different vibes. This the you know the current batch of stories uh, that we're getting and i like that because it's going to draw kids in it's going to keep us older fans interested 
it's going to keep the, the sort of the folks in the middle. Yeah. You've got so many distractions from Marvel. I was going to say DC, <laughs> but they're falling to bits at the moment. You know, Lord Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, all the Stranger Things, everything else, all the things that can distract you from focusing on Star Wars. I think things like Andor are just going to keep you hooked onto that. Definitely. I, I think I think everyone loves Rogue One because the last half an hour of that film is basically like almost a new hope. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. For my money, that's why most people really, really love it. I mean, that's just my opinion, but... No, I agree. I agree. It's Yeah, it was great to see, you know, like, Red uh, Gold Leader and all that. It was amazing. Like, in, I remember in the cinema, like, just like, literally leaping out of my seat when they came on the screen. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, Mark, when you went to see The Phantom Menace, just quick sidebar, because um, when, when we went, it was quite early in, on in the run, um, American cinema um, goers are crazy, aren't they? Because... <laughs> Like, we just had like a whole auditorium of people with like lightsabers and, and yeah. like they like the, the music would come on the fanfare, yeah. they're all cheering. <laughs> like every time a new character comes on, cheering and whooping and jumping about. And we're sitting there, five Brits going, Shh <laughs> You can't hear the dialogue. Shut up. <laughs> did you did you suffer the same experience? We did, because we were we were lucky in that. Well, we were lucky and unlucky because the plan was to go to L- LA and see it. You know, the whole lining up thing and do the proper, the full on queuing thing. And we were ready to queue. And of course, there'd been that kid who'd been queuing for like six weeks yeah. or whatever. You know, all the people that were on that lining up thing that's sleeping on the floor, sort of thing. And yeah. So we were going to join in and do that whole thing and just queue for as long as it took. And then they cocked up our hotels basically. So we were in. We'd gone to Vegas for. The plan was to go for one day, but what a fool! Like you're going to go to Vegas for one day. But we got there for one day, phoned up the travel agents and realised that they'd made a big mistake. And we were like, ah, let's just let's just stay here for a few days. So we ended up staying in Vegas for four days uh, and saw it at the MGM. And so, yeah, it was. It was the opening night. It was like literally the first screening. So we went wow. in and it, and it was like lightsabers, kids in. I mean, it's just like 99. So the 501st have literally just started. So there wasn't right. really, at that point, an organised 501st. But, but you know, there's kids in in armour and the whole bit. And you're absolutely right. Because I'd, I'd seen films in the... I saw Jurassic in the States. And that was insane. You know, and it was, I think, back here, it was around about 87, 88. The last film I remember seeing in the UK when the crowd went really full-on rowdy, <laughs> loopy, was Roadhouse. Die Hard and Roadhouse. When that guy's throat gets ripped out, I've never heard a cinema roar like that. But it seemed, to, it seemed to stop after that. And so, but in the States, it doesn't, they're still going absolutely bonkers. And I, I kind of liked it. I mean, I, the first viewing, I wasn't so keen because I want to hear everything. You know what it's like, you know, it's not going to come on video for forever because Star Wars yeah. films never did. And DVD wasn't really a thing to any great degree at, at by 98, 99. You know, so so you want to absorb as much as you can, which is why we kept going back. But um, yeah, it was an experience. It was an experience. That's great. That's great. I mean, at least you didn't suffer the fate that we did. Twenty minutes in, the film burnt. It stopped. You're kidding me. Just stop. No, just we we got twenty minutes in, just as they were about to go and commandeer the the Queen's Naboo cruiser. Um, there was like a a wipe, a wipe effect on the screen, and we thought they'd mixed to a, a new scene. And uh, basically, there was a blank screen for about five minutes, and then a voiceover came on the tunnel and said, "Really sorry about this, ladies and gentlemen. The film's burnt. <laughs> oh no! Give us a few minutes to splice it together. We were fuming. We were just literally just stepped off the plane. Oh god! You know, stepped off the plane in New York, 
got a taxi, dropped the stuff off, went straight to the nearest cinema, you know? That is and, well uh, this is the, this is the reason George Lucas would if George joined this call now, he would say that's exactly why you should have digital cinema. That's the reason exactly. why. Yeah. Exactly. Strike another one for George. <laughs> that's only ever happened to me once and it happened to me in Litchfield, near where I live, and we saw the little cinema, the Civic Hall, which is no longer there, it's the Garrick now. Uh they showed Jedi and we just got into Jabba's Palace and the projector broke down. Oh, heartbreaking. They got it going, but oh, God. That's annoying, but at least you can play it out in your mind because you've seen it probably about a thousand times. Oh, no, this was not, this was not 1984, so I'd only seen it like once or twice, maybe. I was saying that. I, did, I had a pirate. Uh, this tells you how smart I was as a kid. A friend of mine, his dad used to work on the oil rigs, and so he'd come back with all the pirate videos, all the big films of the day. So the first time I saw Blues Brothers, it was a pirate. First time I saw E.T., it was a pirate. He comes back with Jedi. This is like... When did Jedi come out? May 25th. So this would be like the first week of June or something crazy. And it was a proper old school video in the cinema. Literally see the heads at the bottom of the screen. It could hear <laughs> yeah. people speaking in Spanish in the background. So it was filmed goodness knows where. But wow. but it's all English and it's the whole thing. You know the ring when the girl puts the video on and the girl comes crawling out the, the screen in the ring? Mm-hmm. I was so smart as a kid, I was convinced that Lucasfilm knew I was watching this pirate video. And I was petrified to watch it. I watched it once. And I just, I don't know how I thought this could happen, but I was convinced that Lucasfilm knew I was watching this video. So I only actually watched it once. But yeah, oh, yeah, that projector breaking down. I can still hear it now. Mate, I'll, I'll be honest with you. They probably were watching you, so you did well to just uh, swerve around that. <laughs> That's probably why I'm here now. I'll probably, yeah, it probably was a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we just got we just got an attorney from Lucasfilm coming. Yeah, come in. He's he's, <laughs> he's finally admitted it. Yeah. See, and funny enough, when I had the pirate video with the holiday special, nobody seemed to care. I mean, what's going on? That's when you get George Lucas knocking on your front door saying, uh, I hear you've got a copy of the uh, holiday special. <laughs> Hammer in hand. Is exactly, like yeah. Because he did promise that, didn't he? I'm going to burn every copy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you still got that VHS copy of uh, Jedi? Or No, it was my friend, so I gave it back. But another friend had a tape to tape recorder, so he offered to do me a copy of it, and I said no. And I kind of regret it, because I've still got my video copy of, of the holiday special tucked away in the collection. Brilliant. Uh, Phantom... I've still got Phantom. I'm sure I've got Phantom somewhere, but just an old nondescript tape somewhere. But uh, yeah, I've still got my holiday special tapes. That's pretty cool. But uh, no awesome. Jedi, I never had. I wish I had. That would have been. Very, yeah, very imagine nice. if you kept that. That would have been. That would be a real artifact now, wouldn't it? Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Where Where did you Where did you stand on the whole Palpatine coming back for for Rise? Because I mean, for my money, I loved it because I love Ian McDermott and I love the character. So I was fully behind it from from the moment that it kind of got alluded to in the trailers and all that sort of thing. But uh, what what did you think on it? It was one of the things that made me wish that... You alluded to the sequel trilogy not being fully planned. And I think most people involved have, have kind of... Not that they're ever going to point a gun at their own head, but they've kind of put their hands up and gone, yeah, we, we probably could have organised it a bit better. So it, in terms of linked-up thinking, Palpatine coming back makes all the sense in the world because he's, he's the puppet master of all of it. So so I had no problem with that at all. I just wish that, again, this is talking back to Last Jedi, I just wish Last Jedi had kind of had the opportunity to drop some hints, because it did kind of come out of the blue. Um, mm. You know, Snoke was, was, was the guy, and then you realise, no, he's just another puppet. So, and that's fine, you know. 
I just think social media and and just and uh, yeah, again, bash, it's not bashing last Jedi. It's just a fact. It it was one of those things that almost divided the fandom. I think Solo, poor old Solo, which I adore, got caught up in the backwash of that. Although that should never, that shouldn't have come out in May with all the films that were around it, Infinity War, Deadpool two, all that shouldn't have come out then. Should have come out at Christmas. They were worried about you know taking money from Mary Poppins too, really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a mistake. But um, yeah, I, I just think they, they could have teased it better. That that was the only thing. But then by the same token, if they want it to feel like a moment, and God knows Star Wars has had plenty of them. You know, we're never going to top Luke I am before. I am your father, that moment. They're going to top that. And they shouldn't try because that's just what, what big moment had ever come that had been that big in the past and what has happened since? Nothing. So they shouldn't be yeah. chasing that particular thing. But but nevertheless, um, yeah, I just wish they'd it'd just been a little bit more linked up. I think it would have flowed better. And again, that's why I, I kind of wish either JJ directed all three or, or weirdly, as much as I love Rise of Skywalker and JJ's part in it, I kind of wish that somebody else had directed the third one. So we would have had it a bit more like the OT with three different directors. But but the difference being is that when he had Lucas directing the first one, oversaw Empire, oversaw Jedi, you've got one person, a specific person with a vision overseeing the OT. You don't have that now. It's, it's, it's the opposite of what Leia said. It is a committee. So you do have a lot of people, you know, working as a unit, you know, to, to make this mm. thing work. And I do think Star Wars, if it needs anything, it's been said for years. Marvel's got Kevin Feige. They're so lucky to have that guy. And whether we'll mm. ever see that Star Wars product, production he's working on, I don't know. I think he's got enough going on with Marvel. Um, but but Star Wars feels like it needs somebody like that. But but Marvel wasn't started, or certainly cinematic Marvel wasn't started by one guy. You can look at Lucasfilm and go, okay, he had an awful lot of help. Light and Magic shows that an awful lot of help, including Gary Kurtz, who doesn't get much love these days from any direction. But but mm. but nevertheless, Lucas is the talisman for everything that's happened since. You know, be it indie, be it Star Wars, be it Willow, he's the guy. So to have somebody else come along, and I don't think Filoni's that guy. I don't think he wants to be that guy personally, because being being the figurehead. You know, it's like Lucasfilm had Steve Sansweet as the director of fan relations, and when Sansweet retired to focus on Rancho, they've never been able to replace him, which mm. I think is almost a smart thing. Why would you try and replace a guy like that? He's irreplaceable, you know. So with with uh, with Star Wars as a, as an entity, you know, Kathleen Kennedy gets all the flack in the world, but that's not her role. It was never her role. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's doing a very specific thing, and that's not what she's there for. No. She's not a new George. You know, um, you're never going to find another person who's going to push sound, push visuals, build a company, be creative. The opportunities he's afforded to half of Hollywood, it would appear. You know, that's just not going to happen again. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, do, do you not feel like Filoni's kind of become that de facto figurehead, though, purely by by proxy because he's been there under the tutelage of Lucas for so long and he kind of he's always the one that's kind of the brainchild behind every certainly every new series that's come out maybe bar Obi-Wan um yeah do you know do you know what I mean yeah I do I do and my sense I don't know I don't know him at all I've met him a few times Mm. I, I actually got drunk with him once believe it or not nice um yeah um, and we just talked about Aston Villa, which is really bad for me because I'm an <laughs> Albion fan. Um, 
What, but does, hey, he, her, does he support Villa, does he? The guy, he's a Boston Browns fan. Ah. Uh, and the guy that owns Boston Browns also owns Aston Villa. So yes. when, it, when he mentioned, he saw, heard the accident, this was at Rancho Gala a few years ago, heard the accident and said, oh, I guess you're a... Credit, he called it football. He didn't call it soccer. So that was the, that's the tick in the box. Good, good. I guess you're a football fan. I says, yeah, yeah. He says, who do you support at West Brom? I've never heard of them. Well, they're in the Premiership, for God's sake. Well, they were at the time. <laughs> who you know? Who do you support? Oh, I don't really... You know, I, I guess I keep an eye on Aston Villa because they're owned by the same. And then we, but we were both drinking... Um, Lagunitas IBA, so it was it was a, it was an interesting night. But like I said, I can't say I know him well, but I think he's focused he's focused on the story. He's very tuned into the lessons that George gave him, and he's taken them to heart. But I think he's far more articulate than George. Mm. That's not knocking George, but he's a you know he's he's fairly. You think of us from Yorkshire because word economy kind of comes into play with George sometimes. <laughs> he's not as verbose as Filoni, and I think Filoni can take the idea and verbalise it in such a way that you can say it to a crowd and he'll get a standing O from the crowd because he's just said it so well. I, I don't think he wants to be overseeing, not that he would, because even though Skywalker is part of Lucasfilm and, and, and ILM's part of Lucasfilm, really, they're all part of Disney. So, you know, it's Disney's in charge of ILM to that sense. You know, Lucas could say at a point, we saw it in Light and Magic, oh, well, yeah, Lucas ILM was created to do Star Wars, but it's, but you'll do any film that Stephen wants. And then Wrath of Khan comes along, and then Poltergeist comes along, and then Dragon Slayer comes along, and eats, you know what I mean? And and it's, it's it becomes its own thing. I don't think Filoni, being a, a, a nuts and bolts producer, in the way that um, Rick McCullum was a nuts and bolts, make it happen producer, wasn't particularly popular with people because everybody said he was a yes man to Lucas. Yeah. And he and he wasn't. He wasn't. He was a doer. He was an absolute doer. He he got his brief and he would make it happen. And that was his thing. You know, he was out there, you know, d- doing the work and making it work. And he was a nuts and bolts producer. Um, yeah, I don't see that for Filoni. I think he's more interested in he wants to tell Ahsoka's story you know, and he wants to fold in other characters into other elements. And there is this massive, I mean, it's the classic thing about Star Wars, isn't it? You look at the Star Wars story, you look at how many trillions of people are in the galaxy. If you believe what we've seen or read in books and comics, there's actually only a thousand people traveling the Star Wars galaxy and they all know each yeah. other. Yeah. Holdo knows everyone. Dr. Afra knows everyone and they all know Han Solo. So, you know, there's not that many people flying around in the Star Wars galaxy, but <laughs> Filoni, to his credit, does a great job of sort of folding and overlapping and interlacing all these different elements. And I think that's where he gets his joy. That's just my read of it. I could be completely wrong, but that's my read of it. I don't think uh, he would want the actual job, but I think you're absolutely right. I think people do look at it. You know, the hat doesn't help or doesn't hurt rather. It doesn't hurt. Uh, you know, he's a recognizable guy. Um, yeah, he's become the talismanic creator. You know, Favreau's come in kind of from the outside, done such a great job with Mando and a good job with Booker Bubba. And I hope they do a second season so they can give us a bit more of that, you know, and we'll see what we get from Ahsoka. I think Andor's going to raise the bar for a lot of other creators as well. It's going to make people think, I really do. So, uh, yeah, it's a good time right there. Yeah, I think it is. It's, you make a good point about how, you know, we've only seen sort of a finite amount of characters across, on, on stage and books and, and screen and all that sort of thing. Well, have, have you seen the backlash recently from the new Padawan book that 
and I'm going to say it only merely suggests the fact that Obi-Wan might be bisexual and it's caused quite a lot of uproar, even though it literally, I've read the passages myself and it only says that he thinks about it, about it because he's never kissed anyone before. Yeah. What do you think about the backlash to that that's sort of been spun up? I think if people in general, unless it's overtly stated and, and, Things can be random and vague anyway. And we're Star Wars fans, so we're always reading things into things that are said because we're like, we're, we're a little bit kitchen sink Monday morning around the water cooler type of fandom anyway. We like the rumors and we like the hypothesis and, and thinking about these things and taking them to a, a point on a Monday and then on a Wednesday, the next episode comes out and you're completely wrong. And they go on the next podcast and go, Well, I got that wrong, didn't I? You know, but it's all good fun. Um, I think with this, it's it's so. I'd love to know if Kirsten White actually intended that to be the phrase, because the way I read it, he was a little bit flustered and a little bit, you know, when he's being asked about that sort of stuff, he's a little bit flustered and he's a little bit taken aback and he doesn't quite know how to answer because, you know, they are raised almost monastically, you know, they are a little bit aloof and a little bit detached. Nothing's stated overtly, Mm. but they certainly infer things, but I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think that's, nailed down the intention of the phrase or or, or the passage rather Mm. but you could certainly read it that way now if if that's what they want to do i think they should have the guts to say it but by the same token this is this is a prequel to his life almost this book i've not read it so i'm waiting to read it but you know it's much earlier in his days people explore things people look at different things you know we all have choices to make and so on and so forth. And we know about Satine years later. We know he lives in the desert and doesn't do much of anything. We've seen that in Obi-Wan Kenobi. So it'll be interesting to see how they play it on, on, on the broader view. Mm. The, the only thing I can think in terms of a character like that is if, and this was this is just another nuts and bolts thing, if that was intended to be a part of, of that, let's, let's just focus on Obi-Wan. If that was always intended to be part of Obi-Wan's character and that was part of his DNA and his makeup and who he is, I think Alec Guinness would have played it slightly differently and Ewan McGregor would have played it slightly differently. So I do think there's a, there's a, a te- not a tendency, but a danger that if you go back and sort of retcon something that is so central to somebody's being and potentially their personality and their opinions on the world and whatever it may be mm. and everyone's different everyone you know it's not template this template that i think it does but it does inform a character so if you change too much in the background without thinking how it plays forward into you know all these amazing films we've had and tv series and everything else you know you can you can kind of mess around too much with the background of a character that and that's a meta thing. That's that's everybody, any character. But but in in the terms of this, in terms of Obi Wan, yeah, I mean, if that you know, if that's what if they think it can work as a story point. But again, I somebody's took that one, like you just said, it is one paragraph, isn't it? It's one amb- kind of almost amb- ambiguous paragraph. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you want to read it that way, great. And if you want to read it, it's just a bit flustered and he doesn't quite know and he's not thought it through because he's only a kid. You could read it that way as well. So uh, it's quite cleverly written, actually. The more I'm saying it out loud, the more I'm thinking that's actually quite clever writing on her behalf. So I'm looking forward to reading the book. Yeah, it's 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 quite benign because obviously he is. I think he's is he almost a teenager maybe at this point or something, or maybe slightly mm. older. And at that time of your life, 
you know, you might be have confusing feelings about certain things like that. Um, yeah. So I don't think, you know, later on in the films, the way that the actors portrayed the character, etc. by that point in his life, he probably decided that, well, actually, I am straight. And obviously, he has the the kind of the romance with Satine later on in um, the Clone Wars, etc. So it's not, it doesn't hurt anybody, does it? I don't understand this. Uh, Paul, no. I think Mike Zero's made about 17 videos about it. <laughs> Since Monday. Since Monday, yeah. <laughs> so true. Go and check them out. Oh, I mean, Mike, do, do you kind of get involved in, in sort of like looking at the, the, the so-called fandom menace because i i must admit i do have a little dabble now and again late at night on on twitter just to see what they're kind of chatting about and it it just always seems negative and and volatile and full of bile and like no one's got anything good to say about anything that's come out since 2015 i'll I'll be i'll be blunt on this issue i can't be Hmm. asked with it in all honesty (laughs) because i think for me i think star wars i i I mean i'm obviously i'm passionate about it i'm you know all the things I do and and such is is central. It's it's central to a lot of things that I do. I'm sitting here in the Star Wars t-shirt. Uh, I've got my Star Wars pajamas before I go to bed. I'm a, I'm all in, you know. But and and there's things like you know we talked about last Jedi. You know, it's not my favourite Star Wars film, but I haven't lost a wink of sleep about it because the next thing that came along, I really enjoyed it. And there'll be certain issues of comics I'll just read and go, yeah, it was all right. And then other issues I'm like that was cracking, you know. So life's up and down it's to me it's like comparing wars it's not saying well, world war one was rubbish compared to world war two <laughs> you know it's it's yeah. it's just it's, fra- it's and it's all frame of reference because god knows there's there's millions of people who adore on i say the last jedi again millions who adore that film and there's millions that don't but star wars is supposed to be like us three talking now we're having a good laugh we're enjoying it we're all fans you know, we've probably all got slightly different opinions on different things, but generally we wouldn't be talking if it wasn't for Star Wars, mm. most likely. Mm. So, you know, and I've got yeah. multitudes of friends that if Star Wars wasn't in my life and not in their lives, we wouldn't be in each other's lives, and I'm grateful for that. So, um, yeah, and also, I mean, I, I personally I'm, I'm careful because obviously I write for Insider and I write for StarWars.com and stuff like that, so I can't be too out there, you know, bashing and stuff. But I've got to be honest, there's, there's very little... That royals and I'm I'm in my fifties now, so I'm I'm entitled to be a little bit grouchy if I want to. But you know, <laughs> there's very little out there that gets me that rattled that I feel like I must take up my you know pen and ink and and write an outraged letter to points of view saying this this is not right. You know, um, but yeah, you do see. You mentioned fandom menace and, and groups like that. They're YouTube people. And that's fine. It's a creative thing for what it is. And, you know, there's production values and yada, yada, yada. But it's all monetized. To me, the negativity yeah. is so monetized. You know, Mike Zero is a great example. I don't know Mike Zero. I've watched very few of his videos. But what I have seen, he's pulling it out of thin air, um, you know, and making X amount of videos. The number of hits he gets, the money that guy must make, who's the fool? You know, uh, yeah. he's he's creaming it in. He's hit he's hit on an algorithm. His videos, the the titles of them, the the images. I, I know people have looked into the sort of the, almost the science of what he does, and he's making money hand over fist. He really is, and I just think it's a shame. And he probably loves Star Wars. He probably loves most of it. You know, yeah. um, I don't know. I just haven't got time for the. Because I know, like anyone, you get on a rant, and I'm probably on one now. You know, you get on a roll, you get on a rant, and 
you, you go down a, a, a bit of a cul-de-sac, really, and, and I just think Star Wars is there to be enjoyed. Cause, and God knows there's so much of it now. When we were kids, Star Wars came along. It was like the circus coming to town, wasn't it? Every three years. And then the film would come. You see it as many times as you could. And it ain't going to be on video until the next one comes out. So you better make the most yeah. of it. And Marvel and your Palatoy toys and all the other bits and bobs we got, that's what you focused on and played with, with your mates. Playground was the internet. You know, so you just mm. try to make the most of it. And a lot of a lot of stuff that we know, and, and that's why Kenobi had a hard time, because headcanon, we all have our own headcanon on these things. And actually, if you drill into it, a lot of what we think we know about that time period, we don't. You know, it's a lot of assumption. But that's why mm. Star Wars has endured, because we do sit there thinking about these things. And, and it's just, to, it's just I think, sometimes you've just got to get... I mean, it's generally to everybody, really. You sometimes got to get over yourself and go, oh, well, that's now the truth. Yeah. Obi-Wan and Vader, their last fight was on Mapuzo. It wasn't on Mustafar. Cool. That's now, that's the history of it. And when season two of Kenobi comes out and they have an arm wrestling contest on Dagobah, <laughs> that'll be the last time they had a fight, you know? So we've just got to roll with it. Twitter's gone crazy. <laughs> Um, Mark, if, if I may, because I know we've kept you for, for a good hour now, but um, there, there's one question I would like to ask you now that I understand that you, you've got like a little bit of an inside track on, on things, because me and Paul ask, talk to each other about this all the time. Why on earth did the book of Boba Fett turn into Mando 2.5 halfway through? Do you know? No, I don't. And it's weird you say that because our latest episode of Making Tracks, um, which came out this week, we actually we actually touched on that. We actually did oh. because there's a there's a quote from Pedro Pascal basically talking, alluding to season three of Mando, and the question was, could Mando, could Din Djarin become a leader? And he's sort of sort of going around the houses, and these metaphors and tenses are all over the place. So sometimes he's saying, oh, maybe he could, and then in, and then in the next sentence, it's like when we did it, you know. So he's a bit he's a bit <laughs> sort of all over. And we sort of rolled through the character of Mando sort of saying, you know, do you think you make a good leader? And I think we both agree that, no, he's not a leader of men. Like Boba Fett's not a leader of men. Leia mm. is, a, is a commander, you know. Would you follow Luke Skywalker into battle? He doesn't strike me as an alpha male type character. Mm. Would you follow Han Solo? Han Solo's got no plan. He's making it up as he goes along. He's like Indy. But, but Leia you'd follow because she's a charismatic leader. Would you follow Mando? I don't think Mando would be that guy so we just went through all mm. these different thought processes and we came to book of boba fett which in patches is brilliant and in other patches is a bit like why are they doing this and we kind of talked it through and and we spoke about it before and sort of as if you think about it that what we got in the mandalorian essentially is what you would have expected if they'd have done a boba fett series or that boba fett just trank film you know four or five years ago with, uh, after rogue yeah. one sort of thing you know, bit more gritty, bit more real, bit tougher, bit more hard hitting. They, 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 they'd caught kind of almost without knowing it. They'd almost cherry picked the best of Fett. It's a bit like Robocop coming out before Judge Dredd. You know, where's Judge Dredd gonna go when Robocop's already out there and ninety percent of the public will go, oh, it's just a rip off of Robocop. No, actually, mm. you know, so so they're kind of stifled in that sense. You get halfway through Book of Boba Fett, like you say, chapters, what was it, five and six, I think, and completely divert and tell a Mando story, which I we both thought should have either come out as like a Mando, they should have stitched them together and made it a Mando special event movie or something, like like Caravan of Courage was a special event movie. They should have done something like that. 
or saved it for season three because, mm. you know, Grogu and Mando getting reunited on a rickshaw in Tatooine and Mos Espa was just, oh, hey there. Oh, that's the little green guy. And it, it was almost, to me, it was a little bit like, a little bit like The Last Jedi picking up from Force Awakens when at the end of The Force Awakens and she's holding out the lightsaber yeah. and the music and the camera swinging around, it's like, oh my God. I, I filled up seeing how many doesn't say a word, but yeah. he's saying everything yeah. and just everything. And then in the next scene, essentially the next scene, Kids he just it. trucks it over his shoulder, <laughs> like some sort of yeah. comedy skit. And it's just, Oh, you've just thrown away the golden chalice there. Mm. Uh, mm. And I, they kind of did that with, with, with Mando and Grogu. So to answer your question, why did they put that in there? I don't know. I, I part of me thinks, part of me thinks that there wasn't just wasn't enough storyline to fill the seven episodes that they felt that maybe the audience wouldn't gravitate to Fett as a character, even though like there's old timers like us that were like, Oh my God, they're doing a Boba Fett series. Oh, wow. Mm. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the thinking because those two episodes really do stand out. It's like watching six episodes of Coronation street and somebody decides to put two episodes of neighbors in the middle. Yeah. You know, and you're like, what What's this? You know, it was just, yeah. it was just, it was a weird decision. Um, and I say, we joked about the fact that Fett was in those two episodes about as much as he was in the original trilogy. So it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I know, it's like, anyone seen him? Uh... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. funny because like you say, like if they didn't have a, a, enough content to, to make a whole series just on, based on Bobber, like they spent the first three episodes, you know, they're really long drawn out things about him getting to know the, the ways of the Tuscans and ingraining into the tribe and all that sort of thing, which it's all good. I don't mind that at all. It was interesting. But the, the last episode where everything had to come together just seems so rushed because they spent two episodes mm. with Mando um, and Bob was kind of an afterthought that it just didn't. It, like you say, it didn't track very well. And like, it just annoyed me a little bit because as much as I love seeing Luke and R2 yeah. and all that sort of stuff, it was amazing. It was just like, should we not be getting back to, because I, I swear Bob has got like a turf war just about to happen. And you know yeah. what I mean? And, and yeah. Fennec, Fennec gets yeah. sent off on a, on a mission. She just, she's like, Oh, I'll go and take out the headquarters. And she disappears for, for half an hour. And then it's like, Oh, we better film a scene where we show her doing something. Cause we've completely forgotten about her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was a weird one. It was weird. And yet you compare that. Like Mando clearly, I think Favreau said he'd written like the first four episodes before he even showed it to anyone. Mm. You know, so he obviously knew where he was going with it. Uh, And those shows feel planned, which I think Star Wars fans appreciate. And when Andor comes out, which is, when is it, 21st of September now, when that comes out and people start seeing that and they realise, I think you get three episodes on the first day. Mm. Yes. So, which, which which was a frustration with Kenobi. You got two episodes on the Wednesday, an episode on Friday, and then you know, by the, by the within a week, it had like two thirds of the series. Yeah. series. It was too too quick. That's right. Um, but you know, Andor is like twelve episodes. This is long form storytelling. Yeah. And season two, you get three, you know four blocks of three, so you get twelve episodes there. So year one is, you know, I think year four is three episodes, year three is three episodes, year two is three episodes, and then the final three episodes leads you up to Rogue One, basically. Nice. Uh, fascinating. I think that's a brilliant concept. I don't know why other shows don't do it. A year in real life doesn't have to be a year for the characters. Mm. Um, so I love that. But yeah, it does kind of feel with Book of Boba, which is why I'm desperate for a second season. <laughs> that, that 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 you know, there's enough there. Fennec and Boba together are gold. I yeah. love them together. He's got his ship back. He's got his armor back. He's got 
people he can turn to and use and rely on. And it was great when he asked Mando for help because that made all the sense to ask Mando for help because, well, goodness knows, they helped each other out. Well, that's the thing. You, you knew as soon as Mando made his appearance in, in the first of those two episodes, like by the end of that episode, you're, you're, you, you know that someone's going to be like, hey, um, I know a guy that's putting a team together. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And Fennec, Fennec did exactly that. And it's like, okay, great. So the next episode, for my money, should have been like the pre-planning, getting ready for the turf war, um, the Cad Bane getting involved and all that sort of thing. Perfect. And then the last episode could have been a little bit more, I don't know, it just felt so rushed to me. And like you say, the meeting of, with Grogu. So now people that don't watch Book of Boba are going to probably tune in for Mando Series 3 and be like, what the hell's going on? Well, yeah. I mean, that was another conversation from from our, our podcast last week where you end season two on the bridge where, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, Moff Gideon's had the dark saber. Now Mando's got the dark saber, but Bo-Katan wants the dark saber because she wants to be the ruler of Mandalore and that whole face off. But the problem they've got is there's Cara Dune stood there, you know, and the actress, the, the inverted commas problematic actress that they're probably not going to use again. So how do you, how do you tie that off? But then we, we jumped to Book of Boba Fett, which is clearly after that. So that's sorted. And, he's, you know, he's got, he's gone to the armour. He, he knows he can't use the sabre. He's not up to it. You know, all the different things there. Yeah, I think if you hadn't seen Book of Boba, you're absolutely right, actually. If you just watched Mando, you're a casual viewer and you don't know anything about this Book of Boba Fett. And you certainly don't know that Mando's going to be in it. And you don't know that Grogu's going to be in it. And you certainly don't know that that's where the reunion happens. You know, um, it, was, it was an odd place to, to put that massive moment, really, if you think about it, you know, motivation for the characters. Yeah. And it was sweet for what it was. You know, you got Grogu made the choice and Luke has to deal with yeah. that as well. You know, so it's not just Mando and Grogu, you know, and obviously Mando's thrilled, you know, he realises what he's missing. You know, he would happily hand that Darksaber over if he could get Grogu back. It, you know, it's just a thing. Um, mm. But yeah, you're right. It's going to be weird if you just come back. If you just watch season two and you go right, let's watch season three, and you're probably going to start season three in the N1, the coolest starship in the galaxy, the N1 hot rod. Yeah. You know, there's the Grogu in the back. <laughs> you know, and, and people are going to go, like, "What the hell? What's this?" You know, where's the, and, they, and they'll watch it thinking, "Where's the flashback scene?" And they're not going to flashback to the scenes from Book of Boba Fett because what was that? Oh, they're on a rickshaw and he turns around and there he is. You know, it's like that's nothing. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they play it. I, I, you've got to have confidence because both seasons were absolutely top draws. So you've got to have confidence that they know what they're doing. And it's easy to, for us to have a dig now because we haven't seen it. And it's a bit like Kenobi, isn't it, a few weeks ago when you get to episode four of Kenobi and everyone was like, but this hasn't happened and why hasn't that happened? And there's a plot hole in this. It's like, there's not a plot hole. You've not seen the whole thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, t I tell you what, I was on a, um, a message board a couple of weeks ago and there's like a big long thread about Kenobi and um, after it finished, someone put a post up saying, oh, um, I've just w I went and watched The New Hope again last night. Now I finished Kenobi and um, oh, it's, it's just it doesn't line up. There's like so many plot holes and stuff. I just I really ruined my enjoyment of it. So I wrote back and said, examples, please. Yeah, that was that was two weeks ago. I'm still waiting for a reply. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's just totally. like some, pe some people get so annoyed about like things that aren't true. Do you know? Yeah, but I can't think. I can't think of anything that doesn't line up. I really can't think of anything that doesn't line up. Anything logical, you know. Uh, you know, if if, if Obi Wan had put a great big sort of uh, you know two foot by three foot poster of Qui Gon Jinn in his living room, 
that that was like that, that would, would have been there when Luke was given his lightsaber, and people went, "What's the post of a Qui Gon Jinn?" <laughs> oh, bugger, we never we never put it in, you know. <laughs> but but that's not there, is it? So no, I I thought it's clever. You kind of leave the characters where you found them in a way. But the only mm. difference is, you know, everybody's where they should be. It's very clever writing if they never go back, and there was never a plan to go back. It's a limited series, and I think it's weird that you look at Book of Boba and think. They probably won't do a season two. I hope they do, but they probably won't do a season two. And that was season one. And then you look at Kenobi, which was a special limited event, and everyone's convinced that Ewan's that up for it. They're definitely going to do a season two. So you think Book of Boba should have been the limited series, and Obi-Wan should have been just season one. So, yeah, good good points, good points. Nice. Well, as we say, it's a golden age at the moment for us Star Wars fans. Mark, I really want to thank you for, for your time joining me and Paul on uh, Co Clearance Blue. And uh, we'd love to have you back at some point in the future to, to have some more chat because I think we've probably got more ground that we could cover. Absolutely. I've absolutely loved it. I love, well, you can probably tell I like talking Star Wars, but, but certainly to like minded people. So, yeah, it's been great fun. Fantastic. And, um, Paul, you're going to let me fly solo for the for the next one because you're going away on holiday, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on holiday, so you're you're up next on your own. So that's cool. <laughs> well, I'll uh, I'll preview uh, just for the listeners uh, to you know to wet your whistle. Um, I'm going to be doing an interview with uh, Nick Joseph, who is in A New Hope, the original film, and he played a character called Arhor Hextrafon. And Mark will correct me if I've said that wrong. I'm sure. No, that's pretty spot on. Right, good stuff. Um, he was one of the <laughs> one of the medal bearers um, in the last scene when everyone but Chewie gets a medal. So uh, I'll be asking him why the Wookiee didn't get one, amongst other questions. But uh, looking forward to that. Mark, once again, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Security deflective shield will be deactivated when we have confirmation of your code transmission. Stand by. <laughs>